This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. It's time for your weekly trip around the bases with your hometown team. It's Inside Twins, where we dive into the minds of the guys in charge for insight, information, and analysis. Inside Twins is brought to you by Continental Diamonds, home of the best diamonds outside of Target Field. Here's your host of Inside Twins, Corey Provis. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Inside Twins, brought to you by Continental Diamond, home of the best diamonds outside of Target Field. A lovely day at the ballpark in downtown Minneapolis. Twins and the Indians wrapping up this uh, four-game, three-day series with a day game coming up at 1:10 Central Time. It'll be Kyle Gibson, 4-4 four and four for the Twins, and Trevor Bauer, 5-5, five and five, throwing for the Indians. I'm Corey Provis. We welcome your input today. You can reach us in two ways, by email, InsideTwins, at TwinsBaseball.com, or on Twitter, hashtag InsideTwins. A lot to get to in our Sunday program, and kind enough to join us for the next half hour is the general manager of the Minnesota Twins. We say good afternoon to Thad Levine. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. Great to see you. A busy week, to say the least, and a lot to dissect with the roster and the draft. I guess let's begin first with uh, how this week began with the draft. Uh, I, I heard you say this and Derek say this and even Rob Anthony in the past that w- was going to make this draft process unique is that you were coming in from one organization. Derek was coming in from a separate organization. Rob had been here. If you can, can you cite specifics and elaborate best that you can with how that played out during the draft process? You know, I think the draft process started almost the minute that Derek and I took these opportunities just because – Picking 1-1 was such a opportunity for us to propel this franchise forward, so we took it so seriously. I think our at the outset we never envisioned the Texas system or the Cleveland system ever trumping uh, Minnesota and Texas or Minnesota and Cleveland. We really aspired to get the best of all three organizations, and we've been trying to capitalize that across all of our platforms since we got here. So we sit down immediately with Sean Johnson and Darren Johnson and Mike Radcliffe, three of the most senior guys on the amateur side, including Tim O'Neill, our national cross-checker. We understand all the systems that they undertook to, to ultimately make decisions in the draft. Derek lends his insight into what they did in Cleveland. I did with Texas, and I think we started from that day really creating an amalgamation of all those things. We incorporated analytics this year. We, uh, we incorporated a little bit a deeper dive into the makeup of players. And then I think ultimately as we approached the draft itself, we tried to really maximize the funds we had. We had the most money in the entire draft to spend. We wanted to use that as wisely as possible because from uh, the outset, we really wanted to get the best draft class we could and not just keep all of our focus at 1-1, although we were extremely happy with who we got there. Because of the 1-1 pick, you obviously had so much time to to get into players and get into contracts and discussions with their representatives. But when Commissioner Manfred says that the Minnesota Twins are on the clock and you have five minutes to make that call, what's happening between the time that Commissioner says the Twins are on the clock until he walks up to the podium with the official announcement? 
Well, you know, I think we said all along that we didn't see this as the draft that had a Bryce Harper in it. And so we literally used all the time we had to make the decision. And we weren't we weren't trying to be fast and loose. We always said that there were we were narrowing it down to five players. Now we're narrowing it down to four players. We really were having avid discussions throughout the course of the morning of the draft sur- surrounding two or three players still on the board. So what we did with the five minutes prior to, we, we, re- we really were lining up the talent on the board juxtaposed against what we thought the acquisition cost was in terms of how much the signing bonus would be to, to be able to secure their services, and then having one last discussion, how do, how do we like it, how, do, how it looks. We knew Royce Lewis was the number one talent on our board. We then were able to apply the information that Rob Anthony, myself, and Derek had gleaned from the representatives as to how much it would cost uh, we thought to sign each of the, the top couple players. We then revisited with the scouts and said, okay, now that we know the finances associated with the talent, how do we feel about it? And the group was still unanimous in saying, like, we wanted to move forward with uh, with Royce Lewis. And so we did that, but quite literally the five minutes leading up to that, we were finalizing some of those conversations. We were making sure we were double-checking that everyone was on board, and then ultimately uh, we made the selection and we were ecstatic about it. Correct me if I'm wrong with some of the numbers here, but the Twins had, I believe, over $14 million to, to kind of spread around the, the first 10 rounds of the draft process. Where do you think you, you saved initially but had to spend more to obtain and to keep talent from, say, going to college? You know, I, th- I think the percep- the easy perception from a fan's perspective, because, you know, unlike the NFL draft and maybe the NBA draft, the NHL draft, these players aren't household names. And so we don't, as fans, truly know, other than the people are bandied about in the top of the draft, really the, the quality of player that you're acquiring. So the perception is if you ever get a player below slot or you pay less money than what your slot would have uh, dictated that you're saving money and, and by so doing you're making a compromise and getting a lesser talented player. I think what we did and what we tried to excel at was really throughout the draft we took the best player on the board at each turn and then really what the challenge for Derek, myself, and Rob to do was to get on the f- horn with some of the players representatives and try to get the best deal of the best players. So we never made the decision of, for argument's sake, in the third round, we never said, okay, who's the best player on the board who would accept $500,000? We said, who's the best player on the board? Now let's give Rob, Derek, and myself some leeway to try to see if we could sign for $500,000. So I think we saved some money ostensibly at at one. Uh, We also saved a little money in Landon Leach, the third pick that we selected. It was a player that we we viewed as a – that he was going to go in that round. We were very confident he was going to go in that round. We only had one selection in that round, and it was the first pick. So we felt as if we were probably picking him a little bit early, but if we wanted to wait around, he wasn't going to be there. And we kept on kind of saying in the room, there's no award given for the most prudent group. Mm -hmm. We don't aspire to be the most prudent group. We'd rather go get the players that the scouts wanted us to get, whether we could get a few a little bit below slot, a few over slot. To us, that was secondary. We wanted to get the best players, the ones that our scouts were passionate about, and I think we were able to do that. Two more on the draft before we take our first break. At what point, if any, do you start to look at organizational need and organizational depth when it's no longer the best player on the board, but, hey, we need to maybe build up some catching or some pitching in at various levels of the minor league system, 40 rounds. At what point do you, do you go down that path? I'd say the the absolute most honest answer to that question is the only time we should ever be looking at organizational need is at the trade deadline when we're trying to polish off our major league team and we're trying to push towards a playoff run. I think if you can stay disciplined in every other trade format, 
talent acquisition format of the amateur draft, the international markets, you're just getting the best player available, I think you're going to be better served in the long run. Now, don't get me wrong. When we get to the 25th, 30th round, <clears throat> Brad Style, our, our minor league director, puts up on the board, hey, we, uh, we could use a shortstop at, at the GCL or we could use a center fielder and a relief pitcher at Elizabethan. And so we start trying to accommodate that as best we can. The reality is we have plenty of players in the system to fill some of those holes. So we're going to always err on the side of take the best available player. If it's kind of a tweener, let's take the guy who maybe fits an immediate need that Brad has at the lower levels of the minor leagues. Our last one before our break. With all the time and, and money and resources that you and so many put into the draft process, when you hear and read people say, Boy, the draft is a crapshoot. Are you insulted by that with how much time and energy and money goes into what you guys did on Monday? I hope some other teams feel it's a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. We, we feel it's a little bit more scientific than that. Uh, we feel as if if we are evaluating as best we can. I, I truly believe that we're all hunting the, the competitive advantage in the game and the formula, the magic formula to find players. And I think in practice, if you have the best talent evaluators, you're going to make the best decisions ultimately about players. None of us are going to be perfect. But if we're a little bit more perfect than the next team, I think we've got a chance to beat them. So we, we see it as far from a crapshoot and really much more about the investment the scouts make, knowing the families, knowing the personal uh, side of the player. What's his grit like? What's his makeup? What's his passion? Is he willing to play through a little pain? Does he help his teammates get better? Those are the types of questions we're going to constantly ask our scouts. If we have better answers to those questions, I think we'll make better decisions in the draft. And those are answers that scouts during the process they should have answers for, right? Without question. You know, that's kind of a universal challenge we have. If you're going to recommend a player, we ask that you have talk to at least three people around that player, whether it's a parent, a coach, a girlfriend, a significant other, an aunt, an uncle, somebody who's been around that player. Let's find out some color around the person, not just what we see between the lines, but something that we – we should know about him off the field that could lend itself to his realizing or potentially even overachieving his potential. Great stuff there from Thad Levine. We'll take a break, come back. More to come Inside Twins and your home for Twins Baseball. Welcome back. Inside Twins brought to you by Continental Diamond, home of the best diamonds outside of Target Field. This program until 1230. Chris is the pregame show, then 110 game four. Twins and the Indians. I apologize, Thad Levine, when we began the show Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. My, my, as my well. fault. Sorry about that. As we uh, chat baseball here, good stuff there. Our first segment on the draft. And you, you interesting, uh, interestingly enough, mentioned you know depth at the big league level. And that's been tested this week as well, right? Because you had the draft going on, but a flurry of roster moves happening, short start after short start. And we're seeing kind of the depth, uh, maybe at times, the lack thereof when you have to kind of field and, and fill a void up here. And I think I think that's kind of a little bit of the behind the scenes about baseball that uh, as fans you don't get as engaged with at the outset of the season, but you become unfortunately intimately knowledgeable about throughout the course of the season, and that is the depth. And the teams that have that next line of defense and the line of defense after that that don't represent a huge drop-off from their original uh, starting nine, those are the teams that win championships. And I think that's where we still have a lot of work to, to do, and, and Derek and I are very applied in that in that field. I think one thing that's happened to this team that we don't talk about a lot but really has impacted the Major League Club is was the erosion early on of some of the arms that we expected to support this Major League team, you know, the Trevor Mays, Ryan O'Rourke's, J.T. Chagua, even Nick Birdie, who was a guy who was climbing through our system, power arm out of the pen, now has had Tommy John. Jake Reed was a guy who was in spring training, really impressed with a well-above-average velocity. He's had some injuries. 
when you start peeling back what those guys would have represented, which was that kind of next line of defense, you now are immediately jumping to your second and third lines of defense. And candidly, we just aren't there with what we, you know, when we are winning this division uh, year in and year out and ideally competing for championships, we will have more depth. And I think that, you know, tails back into the draft conversation we have. That's what we're trying to create right now is not one prospect or two or three prospects in our system, but waves of prospects that are coming. Uh, we got a little exposed earlier this year when we had major league uh, injuries coupled with some of our minor league injuries. The compounding of those two effects has led us down the path of where we are. Guys are battling up here in the big leagues, uh, but in practice we're going to guys that we didn't necessarily envision having to go to this early in the season. It's a good segue, too, to my next question about that next line of defense and kind of correlates to our first segment about the draft where, you know, 2013 Cole Stewart, maybe he should be here by now, and there's a lot that goes into that. But he's hurt right now at Double A. Tyler J, first round pick, 2015, a reliever, but maybe he uh, was expected to be up here by now. So it's been first round talent that, to your point about next line of defense, that just hasn't arrived yet. Yeah, and I think what you're talking about is the group that should have then backfilled when Shagwa and Reed mm-hmm. and, and May and O'Rourke had matriculated to the big leagues. So we're not only losing that next line of defense and the, the elite performers. We're also losing that second line of defense, kind of the high-end elite performers, the two guys you just referenced. Those are things that, you know, those are the trials and tribulations every organization faces, and that's why you truly have to have that next-man-up mentality where we can't uh, we can't boo-boo lip it when we have somebody get injured. <laughs> we have to turn to the next guy and know and feel confident that he's going to be able to come up here and perform. So that's where we're continuing to build depth. That's the, those are the challenges we're issuing to our amateur scouts, professional scouts, international scouts. Help us build those next line of defenses because trust us, we're going to need them. I'm not sure if you heard what Paul said following Friday's loss here to the Indians about if you're in the minor leagues right now at AA, at AAA, certainly, that you should be hungry because you see what's going on here. There are spots to be had, right? There are spots with a big league club, whether you're on the 40-man or not, whether you're pitching – at Chattanooga or for Chattanooga or throwing for Rochester, you know, at times it may not matter because there are spots to be had right now. Is that being, you know, I guess, trickled down throughout the system right now? You know, I think we say that, but until you see actions that support that, maybe people are a little skeptical. But when you bring up Randy Rosario straight from AA, I think that, you know, guys take notice. And all of a sudden you, you get uh, Mason Melitakis, a guy who's on the roster there who's performing well and now has been moved up to AAA. He's now starting to ask the coach, hey, what do I have to do to get up there? So I think creating that level of hunger and kind of a sense of, opportunity to strike when uh, the iron's hot in the big leagues only helps the development process. We're, we're not trying to accelerate these guys' processes to the point where we put them in harm's way up here, but sometimes the season dictates that you got to go get a guy a little bit before you anticipated. The more that are ready to, to take the post, the, the better off we are in terms of making our decisions. In your years in baseball, are you more reluctant to bring up a pitcher or a hitter directly, directly from double-A? I think it. I think it really depends. I think those are where you have to really have faith in your minor league coaching staff and talk to the to the team and the coach about, you know, what's this guy's maturity level like? How is you know is this going to be a major setback for him if he gets up here? Are we putting him in harm's way? And I think if they feel confident that he can handle it mentally, and our scouts believe he can handle it physically, I, I really don't have an issue then moving forward. We'll take a break. Come back. More of Inside Twins with Thad Levine next on your home for Twins baseball. Welcome back. Inside Twins brought to you by Continental Diamond. Corey Probe is back with Twins GM Thad Levine. As we kind of get back to the big league roster, a lot of conversation on the depth and the draft so far in our Sunday program. 
Uh, Hector Santiago, Phil Hughes, Glenn Perkins, if you can, let's start there with the injury report. Well, you know, there's another wave of guys that we were counting on. So Glenn Perkins has been pitching down in an extended spring. He's been facing live hitters. Velocity's been creeping up a little bit each outing. You know, right now we just want to put him in the best position to succeed. So it's a little bit of a slow process. Once you get on the mound, you want it to accelerate. Uh, In practice, I think we've seen the, the velocity creep up from the low 80s to the mid 80s now to the high 80s. So I think we're hopeful uh, that he will continue to climb back to what his normal velocity was. And, and I think that's going to tell us a lot about his progress. Right now, the hitters give you some indication as to how he's doing, uh, but it's really up to us to talk to Glenn and f- to see how he's feeling. The goal for him is to get him out on a formal rehab assignment. Probably will start down there in Fort Myers, and then we'll creep up through the minor leagues as he continues to progress. So it, we have 30 days on a rehab assignment for him. Whether or not we use all of that will be a little bit up to how he, he progresses and how he tells us he's feeling after each and every outing. And with regards to Hector Santiago, our hope and goal is to have him out Tuesday to have a rehab assignment where he will you know, probably realistically pitch somewhere between four and five innings. And then Pitch Tuesday, I'm sorry. Pitch yes. Tuesday, okay. Yeah, that's the goal. And if all goes well there, then you know we'll either have another outing in the minor leagues or we'll talk about activating him. He really hasn't been down that long. So, you know, your concern about a starting pitcher in particular is that you want to make sure he's stretched out so that when he comes back to the big leagues, he can at least give you six six innings or 90 pitches so that Paul doesn't have to make a premature move. He hasn't been down that long, so he should not have had too much of his length eroded. Is that a triple A? Uh, yet to be determined. Okay. We're kind of looking at the schedules to see what would be the best matchup okay. for him travel-wise. With regards to Phil, Phil's been down a little bit longer, so I think we're going to be a little bit more attentive to how we we build him back up. Uh, There's some conversations about, you know, is he better served to to help our team in the shorter term as a multiple-inning reliever out of the bullpen? We could get him back a little bit quicker. Uh, You know, based upon how we've performed at big league level, we sure could use him. And so there's a question that we're still discussing with Neil Allen and with Eddie Guardado and with Phil himself, as well as the doctors, as to what's the best path for him. Do we take the time to build him back up as a starter, get him back a little bit later in the season, or do we want to try to get him back a little bit sooner, get another big league arm uh, that Paul can use during the course of the game? So those are discussions that are still going on behind the scenes right now. Interesting. So there's dialogue about Phil possibly returning and working out of the bullpen. Hector Santiago, is that an option too, or is he strictly a starter for now? Well, I think we're looking at him as a starter just because he so recently has been starting. Uh, you know, the thing that we also have to weigh in is conversations with Dave Prumer and Dr. Steves and, and, and Perry when we're, when we're getting these guys back up and going. Uh, Phil's injury was a little bit unique, and so we want to put him in the best position that when he comes back he can pitch without any injury, his, you know, injury issues whatsoever. And so there's some conversation that shorter stints may serve him better moving forward than longer outings. Uh, so more frequent shorter stints, uh, it sounds a little bit more like a reliever to us, and so that may be the area where he can impact the team. Those are ongoing discussions, and we haven't fi- made a final decision on that just yet. No plans to put Phil on the 60 at this point? It's been we're approaching a month since he's been sidelined. I, I think if we were to stretch him out as a starter, that would be a consideration because he'd need a little bit longer time, but we haven't made that final call. If he comes back as a reliever, he could really be back up for us soon, and I think we're reluctant to put him on the 60 because if he can come back within that 60-day window, uh, he's much more valuable to us in the big leagues than the roster spot would be at this time. One last break. Back to wrap up Inside Twins next at your home for Twins Baseball. Final minute here of Inside Twins brought to you by Continental Diamond. Corey Prova's back with Thad Levine as we kind of wrap up the show today now that the draft is over. All attention on the trade deadline. Is that the next big uh, big moment? It, it, it absolutely is. You know, that's, that's a time where we're going to be able to 
hopefully really impact this franchise kind of from the top down uh, moving forward. So uh, we've reallocated some of our chief amateur scouts uh, to the pro coverage. So, you know, we've got guys like Mike Radcliffe and Darren Johnson and Vern Falwell who were extremely involved in the preparation for the draft now going out to see minor and major league coverage, and some of those guys are going through our system uh, just in case anybody hits us on any of our minor league players. So we have our best scouts evaluating them most recently. So we're, we're doing that right now. Thad, thanks for the time. Great show today. I appreciate it. Thank you. We thank Thad Levine for his time. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next on your home for Twins Baseball.